Hello, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I'm honored to have Antonio Bieler uh, on the show. Uh, I actually had heard about him before, but I met him when I was down uh, at the Liberty Fest West in uh, West in Odessa, Texas recently, and uh, had a chance to hear uh, his story. And, uh, you know, I strongly urge you to have a listen to this cautionary tale, uh, cautionary about what is really hard to say, other than that the cats in blue can sometimes have some pretty significant scratches. Uh, in their hands. And uh, just a bit of background, Antonio is um, uh, an ex-Army Ranger and a West Point graduate, uh, you know, with uh, some impressive military credentials. And was it just this last, was it uh, like two months ago? Was it this last New Year's or was it prior to that? It was this last New Year's, that's correct. Just just two months ago, you were, okay, I'll let you take over the story because I really, really want people to, to hear this, but you were the designated driver for the evening and you were picking up gas and here's where the, the tale begins. Right. So it was New Year's. Um, it was about 1230 when we left the house party. I was a designated driver. It was northwest of Austin, so we had to come all the way through Austin. Uh, my friend lives on the east side, so I was going to drop him off, and then I was going to drive back over to the west side uh, to crash for the night. Uh, we were low on gas, so we pulled up into the 7-Eleven. And between us and the street was a black sedan that was pulled over with the female driver uh, to the rear of the vehicle doing a field sobriety test in our high heels without a jacket on, and it was pretty cold that night. So that just looked awkward, uh, as if she wasn't going to pass the field sobriety test because she was in the high heels. And But we were just going to observe, and we were uh, pumping, up uh, pumping up the vehicle uh, with gas. And at one point, we saw the officer, his name is Patrick Oborski. He walks up to the driver's side of the vehicle, leans in, says something to the female, comes back, continues the field sobriety test. And then at some point, the other officer, Robert Snyder, walks up to the passenger side of the vehicle, uh, begins talking with the female, at one point opens the door. But it looked pretty passive and benign. Uh, she was on her cell phone. It didn't seem like it was going to escalate into anything. So, sorry, there, there, were, there, were there two women? One was in the driver's seat and the other was in the, in the heels without the jacket taking the sobriety test. That's right. And okay. the other one was the passenger. And so we were finished pumping up gas. So we got back in the truck. We were about to leave. And all of a sudden we just hear a violent scream. I immediately jump out, look over at the car. And Snyder is ripping this woman out of the vehicle, throwing her to the ground. A Borsi comes over, joins in to twisting her arms behind her back, lifting her up, looked extremely painful. And uh, she sees us, you know, we pull out our cameras, we try to take pictures. She, she sees us and begs us to please film and videotape it. And at that point, I just started asking the cops why they were abusing her. It was obvious that she hadn't committed a crime and telling them to stop uh, abusing her. They pick her up and walk her back towards the cruisers. Um, so they walk right by us. And halfway between us and the cruiser, the one officer, Aborski, spins back around and approaches me. And he just walks up to me and he says, in a pretty threatening manner, who, are, who the hell do you think you are and why are you taking pictures? And I, I said that I was allowed to take pictures because he's a public official. Uh, he got on my face. Uh, at one point, he pushes me. And I threw up my arms to show that I wasn't a threat and just started asking him why he was touching me and telling him not to touch me and that he had no right to touch me. Uh, he keeps pushing me. I kept backing up until I was uh, trapped between him and the bed of the truck. And uh, I'm leaning 45 degrees backwards with my hands up. 
and he just keeps pushing me. At some point, he decides that he's going to arrest me. I'm asking him why I'm being arrested. Uh, he says that I spit in his face. It, I, I obviously didn't, and I said that much. Uh, but they take me to the ground. Uh, Snyder comes over, puts me in an arm lock, is trying to dislocate my elbow. At some point, pulls out his taser. Um, so I, I immediately threw my hands behind my back so that they could cuff him. And, uh, and then they, again, said that I spit in the officer's face, and I just said I didn't. Uh, so they picked me up, threw me in the cruiser, and then they took me to the Batmobile, which is where they have the breathalyzer machine, and they told me I had to blow because I was drinking and driving. And I, at that point, I asked them if they were just making up claims uh, to stick me with. And uh, I decided that I was going to blow since I hadn't had a drink uh, since 8.30. I had one beer the entire night, you know, four hours earlier. And so I knew that I was going to pass the field sobriety or uh, the uh, breathalyzer test. And I wanted to see if it would be a 0.00 or not. Uh, so they had me make uh, two long sustained blows into the breathalyzer. And I asked what my score was. Uh, he told me to sit down, uh, asked again what the score was. And then he looked at me quizzically and he said, you broke the machine. You're the first person who's ever broken the machine. You blew too hard. At that, I just laughed at that. At that point, the officer walks back in to the, uh, into the uh, truck and the technician looks at him and says, is this guy in here for a DUI? And Aborsi's like, oh, no, something else. So the technician asked me, well, what are you in here for then? I said, well, your cops were assaulting a female and I decided to take pictures and ask questions. At that point, Aborski pulls me out of the vehicle, takes me to the paddy wagon where they transport what they call the drunk truck, where they transport people to jail. And then he had a private one-on-one -on -one conversation with me where he told me that uh, you basically don't F with the police and I was going to learn my lesson uh, you know, for getting involved. And then by the time I got to the jail, I found out that I was charged with felony harassment of a public official, which is a which carries a two to ten year sentence. And this was related to the alleged uh, spitting, or I mean, what is the what is the harassment of a public official? What is is that the photos? Is that the questions? I mean, what is what is the what Teflon are they trying to stick this to? The only harassment of a public official in Texas means that you spit on a cop. Okay, okay. So, uh, please uh, continue. So, you're in jail. This is what you're charged with. I mean, first of all, I mean, my absolute sympathies for just, I mean, a terrifying and, and terrible situation to be in and a, you know, pretty rude awakening uh, to the actions of these particular officers, as you say. But um, if you'd like to continue the story from, from when you were in jail and were charged. Right. Well, in jail, they they wouldn't let me call anyone so uh while they were while they were booking me as I was waiting to get my mugshot I was able to call my friend who was with me that night and just tell him to let people know that I was in jail but from that point on I didn't have a chance to call anyone until uh I don't know probably five o'clock in the evening the next day and uh so and there's no windows uh, there's no clock so I was just in there completely confused I, I had no idea what was going on um, I didn't know how this would be taken uh, by my friends and family. And I, I didn't know if there was going to be proof that I was innocent. So I was pretty concerned about that. Uh, but when I g finally got out of prison the next day, late the next day, um, I was told by my friend that there were witnesses at the 7-Eleven who saw what happened. There was a guy across the street 
who began questioning the police as to why they were arresting everyone. And then the police said, if you don't move along, you're going to be the fourth person arrested tonight. And he said, why? I didn't break any law. And they said, because it's 2 o'clock on New Year's Eve. And so then he moved along. And there was a female who tried to walk up to my friend after uh, everyone was arrested to give her, him her business card. And the cops stepped in between and told my friend to sit down back in the truck or they were going to arrest him as well. So the cops interfered with two potential witnesses. So I immediately created flyers to, and we started posting them all around town. And we went to Facebook and Twitter uh, to try to spread the message about this story. And I went to Craigslist and posted a request for people to step forward, you know, if they were witnesses, if they saw what happened that night. The female stepped forward. Uh, someone connected her with us. And she said that she saw everything. And, that, and she corroborated the story that I had without me prompting her, which was, very, uh, was a big relief. And then she, she said that her boyfriend also saw the whole thing. And both of them were willing to testify to that. And then the guy across the street stepped forward. And he, again, he gave his version of events, which lined up perfectly with mine without being prompted. And then he said he also had video. He videotaped the uh, affair, which was fabulous. And once we had the videotape, uh, we just went to the media to let them know. And the media really jumped on it. And they sort of exposed the lies of the police. And, and, and fortunately, uh, a lot of things came together for us. But fortunately... Uh, we have a situation now where we have video, we have witnesses, and we have the affidavits of the police, uh, and it's clear because of the video that they were lying. And so we feel in a much better position now than, than I did that night that I was in jail. That is a long night. That is a long night. Um, and so where do, things, uh, where do things stand now? I assume that the police haven't dropped the charges uh, as a result of this uh, additional evidence? No, I think the police have really painted themselves back into a corner. <laughs> um, they weren't expecting witnesses to step forward, and they certainly weren't expecting a video to, to come up, which would uh, uh, prove that they were lying. We are waiting to find out uh, when we're going to go to trial. Uh, we, I assume that uh, the grand jury is going to have to try to indict us, so we're going to uh, see if the grand jury... Uh, you know, indicts or no bills, and then, then we'll see if we go to trial. But I'm pretty confident. Uh, you definitely don't. You can never tell with the jury what how they're going to come out on something. Twelve people any given day. Who knows how they're going to come out? But we have witnesses. We have video. Uh, hopefully, someday we get the video uh, of the police, the dash cams, and the audio that the police have, which they're suppressing. Uh, no surprise. And uh, and we have verifiable lies from the police you know their affidavits are uh, obvious lies when you uh, juxtapose them up against the uh, video that was uh, th that this person took from across the street so I'm pretty confident that this is going to work out for us unlike for so many other people who have been falsely can uh, convicted from false charges Right, right. Uh, you mentioned in, in Texas, of course, that the police um, will sometimes pick on people that they would consider less likely to be as proactive an activist as you have obviously to your credit been, uh, and people who may just plea down or people who may just sort of not want to go further into a system that is obviously quite quite scary. Uh, and uh, yeah, of course, you are the tip of the iceberg as far as the number of people who've suffered this kind of um, 
predation, I guess. Um, and so to your credit that you're fighting this, but yeah, I mean, as you said in Texas, there's a lot of people who can't or, or won't. Right, and I, I don't think it's just Texas. It's it's pervasive throughout the United States and probably other countries as well. But yes, they usually attack people who are black or Hispanic, lower socioeconomic status, you know, certain areas of certain cities, such as in Austin, Easton, South Austin, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I really threw them for a loop because I wasn't the one that was pulled over. I wasn't the car that was pulled over. I have long hair. Um, so first glance at me, you, you might think I'm Native American or Hispanic. And so they probably thought that they could just do to me what they did to so many other people, uh, not expecting that witnesses would step forward, uh, that someone would have video. And the media picked this up because uh, besides those factors that I've already stated, I'm a West Point graduate. I am a Stanford MBA uh, graduate. I served in the military uh, as an Airborne Ranger Qualified Engineer Officer uh, with, a, with tours in Kosovo and Iraq. And so, and I've never had any incidents with the police. I, I've never been arrested. Um, I, I have a stellar background, and so I don't have any priors. Not even, uh, you know, what, what they usually get people with, uh, you know, minor uh, misdemeanors. And so, people were a lot more willing to listen to my story, and people were able to jump on this because they realized it could happen to to anyone. And most people don't have those; they don't have that benefit, and uh, they just get railroaded, and they and they see. They're facing two to ten years, and they just take anything that they can get to avoid that. And then they have a prior, and then the next time that something uh, comes around, you know, they're, they're less likely to, to make a stand for themselves. Right. Do you think that the grand jury will indict? I mean, it's hard to imagine. I mean, what do I know? But it seems hard to imagine, given the amount of evidence that, that is against what the police are saying. Well, I hope they don't. Um, the grand jury process is sort of... Uh, you know, it, it's something that not a lot of people know about. Uh, it's not very public, uh, intentionally so. It's only the prosecutor who presents evidence. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, I hope that they don't indict. It'd be great if they didn't because then we can move on from this. But, um, you know, if, if they do, we look forward to taking it to trial because I can't imagine a jury ever convicting me. Right. So uh, you were not... Um I mean, obviously, we all have a political side or approach that we have, but you weren't particularly political, at least not in this activist way, if I understand it rightly, before this incident. Uh, how has this changed your relationship to the society that you obviously sacrificed a lot uh, in the perceived service of? Well, I actually have been pretty politically active. Uh, I I have been uh, very involved. Um, you know, for example, I, I'm a big Ron Paul supporter. I've been doing a lot of stuff with Ron Paul. I have, uh, I'm anti-war, I'm pro-civil liberties, uh, but I've never delved into police abuse, police corruption. I've never been focused on that. I've always sort of focused on more federal issues. And ever since this happened, it really has recentered me. And I've spent a lot more time focusing on police abuse and focusing on local issues. Um, it, as far as my, my philosophy of... Uh, politics, I've been on a slow uh, move away from, you know, as late as 2008, I was what, what you would call a neocon conservative. I've always been uh, socially liberal or, or tolerant, I should say, but uh, I supported the wars uh, under uh, Bush and I, I supported McCain. 
Um, but then I moved towards, uh, I, I sort of woke up and, and I turned against that. I became a Ron Paul supporter, uh, anti-Fed, anti-war, pro-civil liberties. And uh, it, it's really hard once you sort of go down that path Every day you move more and more away from a belief that government is necessary and more towards a voluntarist uh, outlook on uh, on life. And uh, you know, and there's a lot of people in Austin who are really, really great, where they don't focus on political solutions uh, through uh, voting necessarily, but they focus on how they can work with each other and support each other uh, through voluntary agreements to create a society that is is more respectful and yeah and preserves people's uh, natural rights a little bit better right right now uh I, for the people who want to to help you and to i know that you are part of a course that is a larger course uh, around police excesses uh, and abuses uh, how can people get in touch with you how can people donate uh, to your i imagine quite considerable legal expenses how can people uh, help you out anthony well, the one thing they can do is they can go to the Facebook page if they're on Facebook, which is Free Antonio Beeler. And the more people that go there, the better because the media actually does report on that. But even more important than that is all the news articles that come up, they're posted there so people can go there and comment on them. The more people who are interested in it, the more the media will follow it. Uh, at that page, there's information regarding any sort of protest that may come up, any action that people can take. Uh, there's also links to the Legal Defense Fund in the uh, information section there. So that would be great. And then uh, if they're local in Austin, they, they can certainly contact me, and, and I would definitely keep them informed of any sort of activism that uh, would be taking place with regard uh, with regards to uh, taking on the uh, corrupt cops in the Austin Police Department. And what advice do you have for people who may face similar situations? Well, the first thing that I did after the, after I got a good night's rest and, and I went ahead and let people know what was going on is I went out and I bought a flip camera and I carry it with me everywhere I go. And I'm a big advocate of people filming the police, even if it looks like nothing's happening. So, And I've had the opportunity to do that a couple of times already where I just pull out my flip camera when I see a cop pulling someone over and I film it. And, and I film it in part because... I realized how fortunate and lucky I was that there was a guy across the street mm. who decided to do the same thing for me. And I'm not out there trying to catch cops doing wrong. I'm out there protecting my fellow citizen because without that video and without the witnesses who stepped forward, I could be in a very, very different situation. So I, I encourage everyone to either download a video uh, application on their iPhones or, or whatever uh, PDA they have, or go out and buy a flip camera. I bought mine for about 50 bucks, and it's, it's a really good uh, device. Um, two is I would like to see people stand up to the police and, and call them out for their crimes when they're committing them. I know it's, it, it's tough, especially when you realize that, that uh, corrupt cops, the ones who are breaking the law to begin with, can be so vindictive and, and they can really try to derail your life intentionally. So, so I realize it's, it's uh, scary, but if everyone does it, uh, we really do have power in numbers and, and uh, they won't be able to get away with what they do. And then the third thing, and this is extremely hard, especially when people are facing uh, prison sentences, is to not plead down, to fight it. Uh, and 
without evidence to to prove that you're that you're telling the truth, it, it, it could be hard and very scary. But if people would stop taking pleas uh, and and they would fight it all the way, it would be much much harder for uh, you know the the bad cops, the uh, the criminal cops, to continue doing what they're doing. That's uh, that's very very good advice. And uh, what's the time frame for all of this? How long do you think it's going to take? I mean, I know it's hard to know what happens after the grand jury process, but when's that? And when do you anticipate uh, that this might come to trial if it comes to that? I don't know. I've been told to not expect anything to happen anytime soon. They said that this thing can run out for two years, and oftentimes it does. But I have a really good lawyer who's working on this, and he's really pushing to to try to expedite what's going on because. We know that we are in a good position, uh, that there's no evidence that's going to come out, which if there's any evidence that comes out from this point on, it's going to be evidence which further supports my case. And so there's no reason to delay. You know, We just want to push, push, push and get this over with uh, so that we can turn around and put as much pressure on the city as possible to turn around and charge the cops with the crimes that they've committed. So. Hopefully this can be resolved within the next few months, but realistically, it could run out for two years. Well, I mentioned that the police, if they don't feel in a strong position, are not going to be in a big hurry to move this forward. Right, and you know, there's media around it. Uh, all the police stations have, or all the TV stations have reported on it. So, to an extent, the longer they stretch it out, the more people forget about it, and they can just sort of uh, sweep it on, under the rug. But we don't plan on making it that easy for them. We we plan on pushing and asking questions and forcing their hand. And I, I think I know the answer, but just to be clear, your friends and family, how have they reacted to this uh, turn of events? Mostly supportive. Um, you know, there are some people who I've been uh, shocked to find that they're uh, unusually quiet about it. Uh, I, I don't, I can't, speak for the the mindset of every single person um but uh you know sometimes people hear that you've been charged with a felony and and i guess they want to sort of distance themselves from you but i've i've had great response from most of my friends and family and the liberty community which uh you know i sort of uh jumped into after 2009 has been just fabulous the the people who understand what liberty is all about, the people who've been fighting for it, uh, they have been some of the strongest supporters, and, and I'm just thrilled uh, to have found this community back in 2009, um, because I, I can, I just appreciate it that much more now. Well, I, um, I'm impressed at your courage at, at doing what you did. I get the sense that you'd do it again. Um, tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I think that's an amazingly courageous thing that you did. Um, it's hard to imagine where it might have gone with that woman if you'd not intervened. And that, of course, would stick in the conscience of any good man or woman. And so um, I wish you the absolute very best with this uh, conflict. Um, I'll obviously subscribe to this and, and see if I can keep posted uh, on, on any updates. Uh, and if there's anything else I can do, just let me know. Thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. And thanks for sharing the story. You're very welcome. Take care. All right. Thank you.